Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's do this. Let's open to John 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. Uh, Pete um, referred to it, but if, if you want to follow along, it's really easy. You can do so on the screens. But we also, how many have the Bible app, the Version app on their phone? If you open that up and you just go down to the More tab, click that. If you go down about halfway down, um, it should say Events. You click Events. And then it will pop up. It's kind of GPS location. So if you have that open, it will show Face City, Michigan campus. You click that, and all the notes are right there. The scripture verses, everything. Uh, it's really cool that they allow, allow you to do this. Um, they also have a space where you can add your own notes. And so, you know, how many know that when you take notes, you remember more? Yeah. Come on, we learned that from school. So um, I encourage you to do that today because we're going to kind of go into teach mode. I know I'm kind of a teacher anyway, but we're going to go into teaching mode and then... Um, uh, Tom's going to grade me afterward to see if I did well or not. So, because he's like an awesome teacher. How many love when Tom spoke a couple weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that means he should again. Amen, amen. But John fourteen six. I, I titled this this morning: "The Way, the Truth, and the Life." Say that with me: "The Way, the Truth, and the Life." These are the words of Jesus in chapter or chapter fourteen verse six. Jesus answered. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many are familiar with this verse? If you go into church for any amount of time, you're probably pretty uh, familiar with it. It's a verse that I've known nearly all my life. But if I were to be completely honest, and I think I should because I'm a pastor, if I were to be completely honest, I would say there were times that it was a little bit hard and challenging as a verse. And so I maybe didn't take the time to really dig into it. There's certain verses that when you read, if you don't quite understand, or it seems to draw this really hard line in the sand, and you're not sure about it, you kind of avoid it. But I just love when, when Holy Spirit kind of pushes you like a, like a mother bird does, you know, a, a, a chick out of the nest or, or a baby bird out of the nest to investigate things. And, and I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. And I, I messaged Tom yesterday. I was like, I'm pretty excited because I had a whole different direction I was going to go today. Uh, anyone who preaches might know this. And then Saturday morning, it all changed. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to dig into this. So I hope you're as excited about it as I am. But if you're not, we're doing it anyway. So let's go. But this is one of those verses that can be kind of challenging, but I can never get away from it. You know, I would ask questions like, so what about those who don't believe right? What about those who, there's all these different questions, aren't baptized, or uh, maybe their theology wasn't quite right. Maybe they were on the outs. And when I would ask, this verse always seemed to draw this hard line in the sand. It seemed like there was nothing fuzzy or unclear. I am the way. And so I would maybe stuff that inside, put that on the back burner, but something didn't seem right because when I look at the life of Jesus, the more I dig into the life of Jesus, you know, Jesus always stood up for those on the outside. Have you noticed that about Jesus? Uh, in fact, you know, the, the children of this time were considered second-class citizens uh, along with women. It was a very patriarchal society. And there was a time where even the disciples were like, hey, kids, you need to stay back and leave Jesus alone. And what did Jesus say? Let the children come on to me. 
So he had this way where if you were pushed to the outside, he on purpose would go grab you and bring you into the inner circle. This is how Jesus functioned in life. In fact, there was this whole religious establishment that literally would, would, would keep people outside of the temple, outside of worship. And Jesus, in no uncertain terms, would always say, nope, guess what? Sinners, you come hang with me. You are welcome. Now, now I, I see this Jesus, and then I see what he says, and I'm going, but, but Jesus, it seems like you're saying it's my way or the highway. Just being honest with you. When you read a verse like this, doesn't it seem pretty hard-nosed and hard-lined? And so, you know, as you look at this, let me, let me be clear with something. I'm not saying that Jesus never said these words. You follow me? I'm hoping today that we can advance in our knowledge somewhat and we can move along the path a little bit. How many know that we're on a journey? And, and, and what's so beautiful about it is when I, when I stopped being stuck in the box of what I knew growing up, what denomination I was in, wow, what freedom to be able to say, okay. Because here's the thing. Do you know Holy Spirit is gentle? Holy Spirit is a still, small voice, not demanding. Yeah. And so in order to follow that still, small voice in that gentle hand, sometimes we have to, by faith, sometimes shut off some ideas that we have. We have to at least be open to some new ideas. Does that make sense? And I know that's scary. And, and one thing that, you know, I, I feel bad for a lot of those, when I say I feel bad, hear, hear my heart, I feel bad for those maybe who have had to go through Bible college or seminary because a lot of times there's a certain bent because it's a certain denomination, and they'll warn you to stay away from them. And what that does is it, it puts you inside this box where you cannot even hear voice of spirit if spirit's moving you to something different because you're like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. I was told to beware. But you know what's really wild? In the early church, they had all different kinds of ideas on theology. And they didn't all agree. But at the end of the day, they didn't call each other heretics. They went, well, you believe differently than me. I guess your revelation is different, but, but we're brothers. We're sisters. Wouldn't it be great if we could be like that in the 21st century? Like not just shoot everybody down and we throw the word heretic around so easily. And you know how much it took for someone to be labeled a heretic in the early church? A lot. Like literally you had to renounce Jesus as a son of God or, or something like that. But like these these you know, non-salvific issues, all types of different beliefs. And so I'm not saying that Jesus didn't say that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, but I'm saying that maybe we aren't quite understanding what he was saying. Maybe it's not black and white in the English translation is what I'm saying. How many know the Bible wasn't written in English? Now, how many are thankful it is? Yeah, because I don't like, I'm not fluent in Hebrew and Greek, but the beauty of it is that we can study these ancient, ancient languages and see the context and what was being said and who it was written to and who, in this case, Jesus was speaking to. So what I want to do this morning is just pull this apart for the next two or three hours. Are you with me? All right. Now, we'll just take the next 20 minutes or so. I want us to first notice this, though. What are the first two words in verse 6? Very good, class. Jesus answered. Say that with me. Jesus answered. 
Huh, so there's a conversation going on. Jesus is answering a question. In fact, when you look at it, because here's the thing, Jesus didn't just stop one day and out of the blue say, okay, hey, everyone, I want to make sure that I'm on record. Write this down. You can't belong to just any old faith system. That's not what Jesus is saying. No, this is not what happened. Jesus was answering a question. So if Jesus is answering a question, let's go back a few verses to verse 1 and begin to read this because how many know context is important? We have to make sure, because it's so easy. I was talking to a preacher about this. I said, remember back in the day when we have a certain subject that, you know, whether it's faith or healing or, uh, you know, good works or whatever it is, we would have this idea and we'd have some concepts because we've grown up in church maybe and learned. And what you would do, you go, oh, here's my points. Okay, now then you run through and you find scriptures to back up the point. Nothing wrong with that. But what I've found is so much better is to actually read the whole context rather than what some call, uh, what is it, uh, Old MacDonald theology. Here, verse, there, verse, everywhere, verse, verse. You can pull verses out and you can pretty much make it say anything you want, right? So let's look at context today. Let's start with uh, verse 1, John chapter 14. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. There are many rooms in my father's house. If this were not true, would I have told you that I am going there? Would I have told you that I would prepare a place for you there? If I go and do that, I will come back and I will take you to be with me. Isn't that awesome? Then you will also be there where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, first question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, say that with me, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I love how positive Jesus is here. Even though Thomas just didn't seem to get it, and let's be honest, most of the apostles didn't seem to get it, right? He's still positive that Thomas, you do know the way. You really do. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But look at this, verse 8. Philip said, say Philip said. Here's another apostle. Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, you know, as patient as Jesus is, don't you know me, Philip? I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I love this, by the way. Listen, if you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus. I know it seems so simple. It's so simple. That's a comedian. I don't know who that's from. Jim Gaffigan, thank you. I was trying to catch someone there. But, but think about this. He's saying, if, you, if anyone who has seen the Father or anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, if you're having a struggle with how God is, just look to Jesus. This has cleared up so much for me in my life. But look what he says. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? Don't you believe that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. I love this. The Father lives in me. He is the one who is doing his work. Again, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And so the answers that Jesus is giving are based on the conversation. How many can see this? There's a conversation going on. And 
It's also based on the events that were transpiring in this evening. And let me add this. There's a backstory. There's always a backstory. There's, there's a backdrop to what's happening. You see, the disciples were good Jewish boys. And they believed in the law and the prophets. And they believed in the prophecy that a Messiah would come. And so here's the thing. They had expectations of Messiah. How many have ever felt let down in life by someone? You know why that is? They didn't meet your expectations. Happens all the time. This happened to the apostles. See, Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, didn't meet their expectations. He was supposed to be a liberating king. He was supposed to be a warrior king who would come and slaughter their enemies, just like the Old Testament, just like the ones that they looked to, Moses and Joshua and King David and these different leaders. This Messiah was going to come and slaughter the enemies. Think about this, though. I can understand their mentality because their forefathers had been slaves in Egypt. They were exiled to Babylon. There were so many nations that oppressed them and enslaved them and just were thorns in their side. And here in this time of Jesus, we now have the Romans who were occupying their homeland. The land that they called home, Rome was occupying the land and they believed that Messiah was going to drive them out. This was the mission of Messiah. And so they had followed Jesus from the time that he had begun to talk about this kingdom where God reigns. See, when we hear it, we think the kingdom of God, and we're like, oh, yeah, the kingdom of God. But to them, uh-uh, this was different. They were sick and tired of being occupied, of being told what to do, and they wanted their king back. They wanted their nation back. They wanted their land back. Do you understand this? I want us to understand the backdrop of what's going on here. And so they believed that Jesus could bring people together. They're seeing this. He could heal the lame and the sick. They, they saw this with their own eyes. He could even raise the dead. And if you think about it, how can you defeat, defeat an opponent if they can raise the dead? And so can you see kind of where they were with this? Like they had such a hope in Jesus that he was going to make things right again, that they'd have their own nation again. They'd have their own king again. In fact, just days before this conversation, which, by the way, was happening at the Last Supper. Anyone familiar with the Last Supper? This crowd erupts into a frenzy as he rides into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. See, we have this, this lens where we can view back in history and view back on things that happened. But for them, as they see this happening, people are putting down the, the, the palm trees, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they're crying out. And, and, and Jesus comes in, by the way, not on a horse like a warrior king, but on a donkey like a humble king. Because Jesus is humble. And so they saw this transpiring, and they were so excited, and it was just revving up, and there's this frenzy, and then nothing happens. Nothing happens. There's no gathering of weapons. There's no strategizing. There's no ways of figuring out how are we going to finally overthrow Rome. No, the excitement just evaporates over a few days. And then Jesus calls his disciples to dinner, known as the Passover. And really to us, the Last Supper. And so I believe in this moment, I want to get inside their heads. They're thinking, okay, nothing happened. We're not up in arms. We don't have a plan but Jesus invited us to dinner. This must be the night. We're going to put the plan together. We're going to overthrow Rome. There's something big that's about to go down. And so they think maybe there's a chance. 
Maybe there's a chance that Jesus can be made king. You ever notice this, that every time Jesus was offered the opportunity to wear the crown and become king, he refused it? Because he didn't want anything to do with the kingdoms of this world. Something we need to take to heart. But he comes into the room. I want us to get a picture of this. They're looking forward to this. This is Passover. Maybe this is the night. Maybe this is the announcement. Maybe this is the time. And he comes into the room and he starts washing feet. Kings don't wash feet. Servants wash feet. I mean, can you get inside their head? And I mean, they must be just so let down. Jesus, what are you doing? This is not what a king does. We should be washing your feet. We've been following this guy all this time, and when it really matters, he just cowers like a servant. See, they didn't get it, did they? There was so much more going on. And so I want to jump back again, context. I want to look in John chapter 13, start with verse 4, and see what happens here. It says, so he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothes. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, say after that, it's about to go down. He poured water into a large bowl. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet. He dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Lord, Peter said to him, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Wow, what wise words from Jesus. But look what Peter's response. No, (laughs) he tells Jesus no. You will never wash my feet. Do you see the mentality Peter's in? He didn't want to look at Jesus as anything other than a king, and a king doesn't wash feet. Are you picking this up? Look what Jesus said. Unless I wash you, you can't share life with me. Lord, Simon Peter replied, changes the tune. Not just my feet, wash my hands and my head too. <laughs> so he, this is what I love about Peter. He's like all in, no matter what. No, you will never do it. Okay, do everything. <laughs> At least we can say Peter was all in. Come on. Even if he didn't know what, he, what was going on half the time, right, until later. Come on. But Jesus answered, people who have had a bath need to wash their, only their feet. The rest of their body is clean and you are clean. But not all of you are. Jesus knew who was going to hand him over to his enemies. That's why he said not everyone was clean. So we're beginning to get this picture of Jesus at this Passover meal, what we refer to as the Last Supper, because Jesus initiates a brand new covenant, right, in his blood. He takes that, that wine. Uh, some scholars believe that, the, there, well, there was this, but there was always a seat for Messiah, So during Passover meal, you would have this seat that was for Messiah. This was symbolic. And so I believe that Jesus literally took the cup from the Messiah's seat, which made the Bible go, whoa, whoa, dude, you're not supposed to touch that cup. Wait, wait, you are the Messiah. What's going to, are you going to be king? Are you going to raise up? What's, you're washing our feet. There's all these things and all these feelings going on at this supper. But he's having supper with them. He receives this this Eucharist meal, this, this communion meal with them to ratify a new covenant. He washes their feet. And even in the midst of this, he calls out a betrayer. He calls out a denier. 
And then if we just skip forward, we, we know what happens in the story. Does anyone know the only apostle who was at the foot of the cross at the, the crucifixion of Jesus? Bruce knows. John. The other 11 abandoned. Betrayers, deniers, abandoners. And Jesus washed every single apostle's feet, knowing what they would do. This is this powerful. So I want to pick up again in John chapter 14. Go back to verse 1. And I want to read this out of the Mirror Bible. I love this translation. Look at this, verse 1. After all this transpires, he said to them, Set your troubled hearts at ease. Now think about this. Everything that's happened at this meal already. And for me, the fact that he's identified a betrayer, which none of them got there, like, what's he talking about, right? He identifies a denier, which against Peter, I will never deny you. Well, then we know he denies him three times, the third time with cursing and swearing. He was a sailor. It's expected. But Jesus, in the midst of this, says to them, set your troubled hearts at ease by letting your belief conclude in God as you rest your confidence in me. Now, now, I love this scripture because what he's saying is, if you believe in God, then believe in me. And the word in here, in the Greek, is the word ice. It's spelled E-I-S. And it means a point reached in conclusion. See, I believe that Jesus was being, even speaking prophetically here, saying, guys, listen, you're coming into this place where the full conclusion is seeing that I'm right where God is. God and I are one. But here's the thing. Look at verse 2 because it even gets better. What makes my father's house home is your place in it. Now, when you think about a home, what makes a home a home? Relationship. Family, right? Connection. He says, what, my, what makes my father's house home is your place in it. If this was not the ultimate conclusion of my mission... Why would I even bother to do what I'm about to do if it was not to prepare a place for you? I have come to persuade you of a place of seamless oneness where you belong. Now listen, I know some translation says that my father's house has many rooms. Some have translated mansions. And we say things like, man, thank God Jesus was a carpenter and got that skill because he's up in heaven building mansions for us right now. No, no, I'm serious. People really believe this. And I, listen, nothing against them, but that just doesn't make sense to me. That Jesus has made. So, like, will some mansions be bigger than others, depending on how good you've been on earth? Will, is, there a, is there a, like, wrong side of the tracks in heaven where you get a little, like, I don't know, a double wide? See, see all these concepts go kind of like, where are we going here? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus wasn't talking about a physical place or space, but about a spiritual position. Being in the family of God, it's about your place in family. And he's speaking to the apostles. And I believe through this, it was written for us to see that he's speaking to us as well. Saying, listen, there's plenty of room for you in Father's house. In fact, in John 8, 35, Jesus said the difference between the slave and the son is that the slave only works there. For the son, the father's house is home. See, he's wanting to bring us into this place where we feel at home with Jesus, where we feel at home in the kingdom of God, where we, we feel at home with the divine. Are you follow me so far? 
In fact, in verse 36 of uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, he says, With the freedom found in sonship, there is no pretense. This word in the Greek is ontus, and it means opposite to what is pretended. See, this is why Romans 12, 2, Paul spoke this, I believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to change our mind about things. I don't know how many times I've said this, but even Paul said this, that we were enemies of God. Now, if we stop there, we're like, great, I'm an enemy of God. But what does he say? In our minds. God was never our enemy. We thought God was our enemy. It goes all the way back to the garden story. Adam and Eve believed that God was holding out. In essence, they believed that God was the enemy. He was trying to pull one over on them. He was trying to hold out. And so they thought, we're going to do this on our own. But you know what's so beautiful about that story? Is that even in the midst of that, God came to them, spent time with them. He clothed their nakedness in shame. God never left them or forsake them. And listen, this is why it makes sense that Jesus, knowing who the betrayer was, knowing who the denier was, knowing who the abandoners, I don't know if this is a word, were, still washed their feet. That's going to make me emotional. That's how good God is. It's amazing. What Jesus is about to accomplish in his death and resurrection, think about this, it will forever shift the idea of religious works, pretense, performance, you know, the, the typical slave-like mentality. See, we can look at Israel and go, well, they didn't get it because of that slave mentality they still were struggling with. Well, we do as well because we see ourselves as servants, not sons. And by the way, ladies, whenever we say sons and sonship, it's referring to you as well. Everything's patriarchal in this time, so it all has to do with the male, right? But that includes you. Come on, ladies, say that includes me. He wants us to bring into the, us to the freedom and reality of sonship, of being part of family. So basically, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, don't lose heart. Uh, don't get upset. I really want you to trust me on this one. My father's place has lots of space, man. Lots of room. Father's arms are wide open. Father's embrace is huge. And soon I'm going into the embrace. Why? So that you can be where I am. So you can see who you are as well. See, when I see Jesus, whom we refer to as the incarnation God in flesh, I don't think I'm Jesus, but I do believe that I'm incarnation because God inhabits flesh. And so I have this responsibility, if you will, to reflect the image of God to this world. But so many times we cover it up with our insecurity, our shame, our guilt, our hiding, and no one can see the image reflected because we're so focused. Some people call it navel-gazing at all the issues I have and the very answer resides on the inside of you. But what has to happen? We have to believe that it's true and by faith receive what God has already done for you. Listen, if you pray the prayer, you believe that's great. But it's not some magic prayer that suddenly makes God do this. He's already done it. 
We have all things for life and godliness, but what we need to do, and I love the apostles' language throughout the New Testament, is we need to awaken to our righteousness. We need to awaken to what's already there. Can I get one amen this morning? Woo, I got like six. What's really crazy to me is he goes, he goes on, he says all this to him, and then he says this, you know the way there. I know the way there? Of course, they go, what do you mean I know the way? Right? But he's like, you know the way there. Look at verse 4. In fact, I love this translation. This is so cool. You have always known this way and where all this is leading me and where I am taking you. Are you catching this? He's telling the apostles, guys, you already know this in your deep, in your heart of heart. How, how many have ever, whether it was maybe the first time that you were aware of Christ, the first time maybe that you were aware of, there was just something inside you. You just knew there was a connection. You knew it was there. You couldn't explain it. You couldn't put words to it, but you knew there was a connection with the divine, but you just couldn't quite, he just didn't know how to say it. Anyone? Uh, same with me. And so it's this journey where we begin to discover these things. Now, I love this because when he says, you know the way, in the Greek, this is so cool. It's the word odate, which is the perfect active tense of the word ido. It means to see or to perceive. Meaning you already can see this and perceive this, but you need to awaken to it. I'm trying to. Three and a half years of ministry to you and the people to say, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within you. See, they were looking for a kingdom out here where Jesus would vanquish Rome, set up a throne, and rule and reign in a kingdom of God. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom is within you. You can't see it in the natural. It's within. Let it out. The kingdom that's already there, let the kingdom out. What's, what's really cool here is when you see this, this phrase you know in the Greek, they have these different uh, uh, tenses and moods, but the perfect tense of this word denotes an action which is completed in the past, but the effects of which are regarded as continuing into the present. Do this. This is some of that like spiritual stuff. Like, how do I reside here? But then Paul says that I'm seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Right? There's some things that we just can't quite under, explain, but man, this gets me fired up because I'm connected. I'm connected to the divine source of life. Anyone else here connected? Come on, raise two hands. This is so awesome. This, this gives me purpose. This means that I was born for a reason. This means that I'm not a mistake, that I'm not a nothing. Come on. I'm a someone. God's got my number. I'm part of the family of God. Man, this is cool. Hey, hey, hey I'm preaching myself happy, so. <laughs> See, I believe that Jesus here is moving to a, a different level of knowing. It's not just this mere academic knowing, this theological idea, but it's a deep inner knowing. We can say it like this, it's, it's a remembering. 
there's this scripture in Psalm that in the Psalms that just it's so powerful, and I think it speaks to the Psalm 22, 27. Listen to these words. Close your eyes for a minute. Listen to these words. This is a prophetic psalm. People from one end of the earth to the other will remember and turn to the Lord. The people of all the nations will bow down in front of him. Now think about this. People from one end of the earth to the other. This isn't geographically specific to just Israel. This is the entire planet. This is prophetic, man. In the, New, in the New Testament, we're told that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. And I used to picture that someone was standing before the throne of God. And they're like, I will not bow my knee. And then he's forced to. Oh, you're making me. That, that, that doesn't make sense. That just doesn't line up to me. Because the only way that you can bow your knee and confess Jesus as Lord I think John tells us this is by the power of Holy Spirit moving you to do so willingly because God doesn't force you. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And then John says this really wild thing. He says, every, everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord will be saved. What? That's some powerful words. Now, I'm not trying to get into some theology. I'm just saying, I believe sometimes the gospel is so much better than we've made it. Because we have this us and them thing. And we try to push people out. Well, I mean, even people who say they love Jesus, well, they're Baptists, so obviously they don't get it. They didn't get the memo on tongues. Well, let me tell you something. I believe in the gifts. It's amazing. But, you know, I went to Baptist school, and there were some Baptists. Uh, Baptists? Is that a word? Come on, Keith, correct me. Is that a word? Baptists? It's like synonym, right? There were some Baptist folk that I think believe the gospel more than I did as a charismatic. They were soul winning every, every Wednesday. They really believed this stuff. Great brothers and sisters. But somehow, like, people who say, you know, like, that's cool, but if you really could get it all, oh, that's not very humble. Come on. We're all on a journey. We're in different spaces. I don't even know why I went into all that. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. We love the Baptists. Say, we love the Baptists. Our dear friend Linda, come on, you brought up in that. And then you discovered some gifts and went, whoa, but you moved on. But you know, she didn't despise the Baptists and the things that she learned. Those are foundational principles, amen? People from one end of the earth to the other will remember and turn to the Lord. This terminology is just, are you picking this up? They'll remember so they always knew. See, this is hard to understand, right? But, I mean, there's other verses. How about this? The lamb that was slain, the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. See, we think so much in time and space, don't we? Sometimes we need to go, okay, there's a lot more going on. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to discover the kingdom of God inside me, reflect the image of God, and invite any and everyone who wants to come along. That's what Jesus did. That's the example of Jesus. So, so think about this. Jesus is saying, you've always known this way. You've always understood this way. Well, by the questions being asked, I'm thinking, Jesus, I think you're giving them a little more credit than is due. Because the disciples, I'm, I'm imagining what they're thinking. Oh, okay, well, we thought we knew the way. 
right? We thought you were going to be our king. We thought you were going to restore King David's throne. But look at you, you're washing feet. No, we thought we knew the way, but apparently we don't. And then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way. Look to me. I am embodying the way. Do you know that the early church was actually referred to as the way? People of the way. That's awesome. I want to make this next point, and I want you to understand this. Jesus, as a servant, because Jesus told them straight out, the first will be last, the last will be first. He's washing their feet, which doesn't make sense for a king to do. He says, this is the way. I am embodying the way. Think about it like this. The way is in washing feet. In context, what Jesus is saying is the way is in washing feet. It's the only true life-giving way there is, the way of Jesus. Does this make sense? Listen, there's no embrace of Father in killing or driving out your enemies. I mean, Jesus even said, he goes, listen, if, if, if my servants were like the world, they'd be fighting for me right now. Jesus never once called a legion of angels. He let people crucify him. And on the cross said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. Just like the apostles still didn't understand what was going on and what they were doing. Is this making sense? This is that's cool to me. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, think about this. Jesus wasn't wielding power. He was embracing meekness. You know, a few weeks ago, Jamie Englehart was in, and he said something that just was like, whoa, because, you know, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, I believe, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And I don't know about you, but I always thought meek was just someone who, you know, maybe they were someone's doormat. They just let people take advantage of them. They, they never really stood up for themselves. But when he told us the true meaning is it's someone who has the power of the sword, but they choose to sheath it. Whoa. That's a lot different than just some, you know, mamby pamby, uh, uh, just whatever happens. No, no, this is someone with authority and power with the sword who says, nope, I choose to sheath the sword. That's what meekness is. And think about this. The way of Jesus is about washing the feet of even those you know are about to betray you. It's washing the feet of those who you know are about to deny you. It's washing the feet of those who you know are about to abandon you. Jesus knew these things and still washed their feet and served them and said, I am the way. This, you guys, is the way of life. I'm not your warrior king that you're expecting. I'm not here to reestablish a system or a throne. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've, I've went back and forth through the four gospels and I looked everywhere and there's not one time that Jesus stood up or defied Rome. Not once. I don't see it anywhere. Look at verse six. Jesus said, my I amness mirrored in you is your way. 
Isn't that awesome, Tom? This is your truth and also your life. Every single person is now brought face to face with the Father entirely because of my doing. Now, we know other translations say, no one comes to the Father but through me. But this word comes in the Greek is so beautiful. It means to come from one place to another, to be established, to become known. See, I don't see this as a threat. I say this often that we can read scripture as a threat or a promise. And I really see this as a promise. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I'm the way. The way that you've seen me the last three and a half years, healing virtue, restoration, uh, uh, you know, friend of sinner, uh, friend of the outcast. This is who I am. This is a reflection of God. He's already said this. Listen, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is who God is. And then he says, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. You already started. Let's continue the journey. It's something you know in your heart of hearts to be true. It's already there. You have to awaken to see this. But then this next phrase, no one comes to the Father but through me. I don't think it's a threat. I think what he's saying is when you begin to see this way and walk in this way, guess what? This will establish you. You become known in this space and in this place, but you have to come from one place to another. You have to change your mind. That's what repentance is. Repentance in the Greek means to change your mind. Repentance in the Hebrew means to turn and go a different way. You put them together, what does it mean? Oh, I'm beginning to, to, to think differently in these certain facets of my life, so now I'm gonna turn and go another way. What's really cool here is this, this word in the Greek is a verb. And in the present tense and passive voice, it actually makes the subject, which is us, the recipient of the action, which is Jesus. This is why salvation is not because you've done enough or done good enough. It's because Jesus has provided it and he brought you with him. He said, I prepare this place and I come back to bring you with me. And I believe we see that even in the gospel. When Jesus spent 40 days, he came back after resurrection and he spent time with him. And he would, he would show how the law and the prophets were, uh, were, were showing him and bringing him up. And it said their hearts burned with them. There was a new fire, there was a new zeal. They were beginning to see things differently. And you know that we're here today serving Jesus, following Jesus, because the apostles continued to do what Jesus called them to do. See, because of the way of Jesus, we have moved to a new way of understanding. So here's my question this morning. Will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose to follow the way, which is Jesus? Will you choose to follow truth and life? And even take it a step further, can we if not physically, maybe even metaphorically, can we wash the feet of anyone? That's a tough one. Jesus said a lot of tough stuff, like love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. It's like, Jesus, help me. He's like, I'm here, I'll help you. But that's the way. It's not, it's a narrow road. It's not easy. Because I'm asking you to do things that go against the grain of, of 
religious systems and political systems and ideas that we've been raised with, but, but I'm, I'm saying you can do this. I am here working through you. We can love enemies. We can pray for those who despitefully use us. We can wash the feet of anyone. We can even wash the feet of those who have wronged us and betrayed us. We can wash the feet of those who have denied or rejected us. Why? Because this is kingdom life. And I believe that Jesus is not drawing a line in the sand or saying it's my way or the highway. I believe that John 14, 6 is an invitation. It's an invitation to live life differently than maybe you ever have before. In a different way than you ever had before. But let me just say this. Don't make the choice lightly. Because Jesus starts to mess with your mind. In a good way. Jesus has challenged everything from my theology, what I think about God, my politics, the sides that I get on and make that the most important thing and think that politics is the gospel. Been there, not anymore. Jesus has messed with my mind when I've looked down at certain groups of people. Didn't even realize that I did. But Jesus will challenge these ideas. And it's in those moments, if you say, okay, by faith, this is hard. I don't quite understand where you're moving me. This is not comfortable, but I choose to follow you. Let me tell you, there's freedom on the other side of this. And then once you get through something, you begin to to change your mind and go a different way. Oh, get ready, because then there's another thing that pops up. You're like, ooh, I didn't even know that was there. the guilt, the shame, the hiding, thinking that you don't measure up. Holy Spirit will challenge that too. You know, Holy Spirit's job is to convince you of your righteousness, your right standing with God. I heard one brother say that if you dig deep enough in the Greek meaning, righteousness means as you've always been. See, when God created us, he said it was good. It was very good. But there's a lot of things in life that get us to a place where we think we're not good. We don't measure up. We're not good enough. And Jesus said, listen, I've already provided the way. All you have to do by faith is say, yes, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I want to follow your way in my life. And everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. No one's left out. So maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. This morning could be that, that time. And it's simple. You know what's so cool? I, I read the, the book of Acts and there's like 17 or 18 gospel messages that are preached throughout Acts, you know, the Acts of the Apostles. And there's not one altar call or sinner's prayer. I don't have an issue with that. But it just says they believed. They heard the gospel and they believed and it changed something in their heart and they went, wow. And it says, and they added to the church that day. There's no magic formula for this. It's belief. I believe it. I confess you as Lord. See, that word confession means to agree with and to say the same thing as. 
How do we know that we're confessing Jesus as Lord? See, we think it's a one-time event where I say something one time. No, no, no. This is a lifestyle that reflects where you speak, say, and do things that the Father speaks and says and does, just like Jesus. I'm all for the one-time event. That's great. You're in the family. That's great. But what are you going to do now? There's a life to live. There's a continual life of confession and agreement and showing forth and reflecting the image of God on this earth. Does that make sense? Will you stand with me this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.